Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, or Julius, and this is episode 158. I shall be king and I shall rule this entire podcast with my charter podcast. Hello, Albert. How are you doing? Welcome back. Hey, Julius. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Did you follow all that exciting Gen Con news? No, I kind of missed it. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was off in Las Vegas. She is in Las Vegas for 10 days working some event there, and that was just way too busy at home. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> so I've missed it all. Yeah, I don't know anything that came at Gen Con with the exception of the new Marvel Superhero LCG from Fantasy Flight. That's the only thing I really know that came out of Gen Con. Oh, well, I was at my friend local game store today, and uh, my friend Tim was reading the list of all the stuff that was arriving tomorrow or today. <laughs> and the only game I recognized was uh, Tiny Epic Mix. Oh, I'm familiar with that one. I've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's out because it had a copy on the shelf. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of the Tiny it. Epic stuff. But I'm excited for the Marble LCG. I'm going to have to take a look at that once it comes out in October. <laughs> It's two LCGs, huh? That's a, that's that's a tough one. Well, maybe. I mean, this one seems a little bit simpler. Maybe my because my, my daughter doesn't like so much a lot of the Arkham stuff. Like she'll play with me. She like doesn't let me play certain cards. And I've seen some of the cards coming out for Return <laughs> to the Path of Carcosa. Like one of them is super gory. I imagine like if my daughter ever saw it, she would never ever want me to play Arkham Horror with her. Yeah, no. You're, so you're like, not playing that card. Right, so a superhero game, she'd probably be really into and want to play with me, like follow along in the LCG, and that'd be really fun if she does. So we we may give it a spin. We'll see how it is once it comes out and we can give it a try. Because we weren't at Gen Con, oh, okay. so we couldn't actually try it there. Yep, that that makes it harder. <laughs> they have a big event there for that too? I know they do for Lord of the Rings. Uh, they did. They announced it during the Fantasy Flight in-flight report, so their big show that they do. Ah, okay, gotcha. And then they just talked about all Gen Con. Okay. Yep. As but, they do. But anyway, we have another very exciting game. I'd say probably also highly thematic game we're going to be talking about today. It's Charterstone. Is it really a thematic game? I'd always assumed it was very much a, a Euro-style game. Kind well, of dry. I mean... Kind of thinky. Yeah, it's it's thematic. It certainly has thematic aspects to it. <laughs> okay. I would say it's thematic. It's very pretty. It, the, I, you know, when I go look online, I I didn't go into like BGG to look at the pictures, but nothing really shows pictures of what the game looks like. It's all the box cover usually. I think you probably have to look at BGG for that. And one of the reasons why is that this is a legacy game. So mm-hmm. at the start of the game, the idea is that the the forever king, who is this immortal king, has sent you to a new village and has essentially tasked you to build up this village for I shall come and visit. And so your job is to build it up together, and whoever has the most points is winning. That is the yeah. idea. Yep, I read that in the uh, like in a preview video that they had on Stolmeyer's website. And we didn't mention, this is a Stolmeyer game. Maybe yes. <laughs> and the, guy, the voice comes on and says, The king of Green Gully has elected six citizens to start a new village and to compete with each other for glory. You know, I read and I said, well, that village is going to fail from the beginning. They're supposed to compete. <laughs> it just seems like a bad... He doesn't sound like a good king to me, honestly. Well, I mean, we can actually talk about the king for a second as we go on with this. 
before I start saying anything else about that, though, let me emphasize, this is a legacy game. If you're not familiar with what a legacy mm-hmm. game is, that means the idea is intended that you play the game over multiple sessions, 12 specifically for Charterstone. And over the course of time, new rules will come out, new changes will be made, and all of these will be physical changes to some aspect of the game. In this specific case, it's stickers. And there's generally mm-hmm. a developing story, and there's new mechanics that are introduced later. So and you don't you don't know what's coming up later. You at all don't know what's secret. coming up when you open up the game. I am going to be discussing every aspect of Charterstone. So fair warning: if you don't want spoilers, go play the game and come back. This is not going to be a spoiler-free <laughs> review. This is going to be completely spoiler-friendly review. It's going to be a lot of spoilers. Okay. So that, you know, I, I was thinking about that the other day. These spoiler these reviews of legacy games i was thinking about this because there's a, a on every night is game night they're talking about pandemic they're talking about the design with the designer of pandemic legacy and and uh these spoiler free reviews or spoiler reviews are really for people that have already played the game right because if you haven't played it you don't want to hear the review if it's going to be full spoilers with at least with the legacy game potentially mm-hmm. i mean i think you still want to know that because you want to know if we like it and we recommend it Mm-hmm. So, so you got to give that up front for the people that want to tune out. Fair enough. So let me give up front that I do like and recommend it. I have played through not one but two full campaigns of the game. I've played 24, 24 games of Charterstone. I do like it very much. I am very tired of the game by playing 24 times. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just finished uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 and I played... I think about 20 games and that last game I had a lot of fun, but I was ready to be done. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I totally get that. I do highly recommend it. I think it was a lot of fun. I think it certainly has some flaws, but it's almost impossible for me to talk about those flaws without already starting to talk about a lot of the mechanics and being that you literally start the game with an empty rule book. I've got to get into spoilers to be able to talk about some of the mechanics and to talk about some of the feel. Mm, and that's why none of the, the advertisement stuff really tells you anything about the game. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, that's fair. So so you recommend the game, you like it, you, you're going to play through it 12 times. There's a, a, some sort of expansion thing that lets you reset the game and play it another 12 times, starting yes. from the beginning. And, and that then, is, and that is that, a spoiler-free really review. Brand new from start. Okay, and that, and if you haven't played the game, tune out here. That's all you get to find out. Also, it's really pretty. Or if you have played, if you haven't played the game and you don't mind hearing spoilers, which I don't think is that major of a thing, personally. Ah, uh, okay. So it's not. It, it may ruin the story a little bit, but that's sometimes not that big a deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay. The, Fair the enough. story okay. here is not super deep for a story. Okay. Well, this is where we'll pause for two or three minutes, get water, give you time to shut off your podcast player. If you're like, if you're painting. Your, your ceiling and you got to get off your ladder to sh- pause it. You got time because we're just rambling for a moment. Somebody but soon that will water. end. What? Water? I've got water. My water is not on my desk. <laughs> well, you better go get it because I'm rambling here while we let these guys get off their ladder and turn off the podcast. All right, Thank I found you for it. listening. The cleaners oh. have moved it somewhere else. <laughs> okay, well, that was a short podcast. Or short intermission. All right, we're coming back. Come on, Albert. Enough of your chitter chatter. Let's start. Okay. All right. First, I'm going to talk about the rules. 
Now then, as mm-hmm. mentioned, you start off with an empty rule book. The game, and as part of its main components, there's going to be a lot of cards, and these are regular poker-sized cards, that are in fact stickers. Almost the entirety of the card mm-hmm. is a sticker, and they can go various different places. One of these type of sticker cards are rule cards. Over the course of the game, when you op- unlock new rules or get to new things, you'll be instructed to withdraw a certain card from a charger chest and attach it to the rule book. That will be a new rule, which means that every single rule in this book must be able to be explained to you on a poker sized, a poker card sized tiny little rule sheet. Mm-hmm. It actually relatively manages that well. I remember when I first read about the game, I was thinking, like, try imagining cutting up Pandemic into a rule sheet like that big. You want to have graphics and explanation for things like, here is where stuff goes. You are never able to do that in the course of this game. I'm never able to give you a picture of what setup looks like. Never. Can't. It's not there. Wow. So when you're done, it's a real dense rule book. Uh, Well, it's not actually. (laughs) I mean, it's heavier. But it's not okay. that difficult, and they actually really do pull that off, surprisingly. Um, the rules are still all easy to understand. If a rule is getting changed by placing a different one, they'll put a little red icon on it to show that it's been changed. And the rules are well written. The rules are pretty easy to understand. Some of it does suffer from its format because you don't have enough room for explanations, but Stonemeyer has presented a pretty good fact online, which I think really helps solve some of the issues that are confusing. Uh, okay. Is a fact sort of a spoiler free fact? They split it into multiple really sections. Good. They say like expand. If you've learned about this thing, expand this or this thing, expand this. And so they help with that. Gotcha. Okay. But Some of it does suffer from not having an index. I mentioned just a minute ago that you can't ever have a graphic explanation of something. Another thing you can't ever have is an index or even a searchable thing. Nowhere online is there even a full rule book where you can say, hey, I know (laughs) that somewhere there's a rule about how upgrade cards work. Somewhere there is, and I just can't figure out even what page it's on or what rule card it's on. What sections it's on. There's, I, I just can't remember it. I just want to look it up in an index or a table of contents or some sort of organization method. I don't understand how the rules are organized because normally a rule book has setup, gameplay, mm-hmm. victory conditions, <laughs> right? Yep. And then maybe a summary of each detailed type of action or something like that. Yeah. After that. Maybe, I, but... I'm not sure that this rulebook really follows that because some of the things are stuck in places that I just don't get. They tell you that... where to stick the stickers or is it they just do. stick it, it in the It says put it on a certain block and you put it on okay. that block. I will admit, we played through the campaign twice. On both instances, we have put down at least one sticker in an incorrect location. <laughs> I will admit, we're sorry for that. But we're still confused. <laughs> um, we tried to fix it, but it just doesn't work well. <laughs> but I will say that is an issue with having this. You would really think that when I hand this to someone and say, hey, put this on section four, it should end up on section four. <laughs> I am not the one who's done this. There's a lot of stickers. I try and share the wealth so everyone feels involved in the stickering process. Inevitably. Okay. it's And it's happened in both games. It, I played with two separate groups. Both games were full multiplayer. Um, but inevitably it happens. I just don't get why it's hilarious. Anyway, (laughs) 
so I will say that is a suffering thing that it has in the rules, but overall the rules are pretty good. Let us talk about the theme for a minute. And for theme, I'm going to talk about including the story. Albert keyed into something. This king of Green Gully has sent people, six random people off to go start a village. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let me ease you into this a little bit because, Albert, you haven't seen any of this. You'll note in some of the pictures that you have your character with, like, this full-color picture art and, like, you could be the yellow mm-hmm. characters, this, like, chubby type person. So everybody has their character. Almost immediately in the course of the game, you'll open up some more persona cards. Your original persona may be yellow, but you may at one point in time open up a black color persona or purple persona, and those become part of your character. And in fact, you will stick your original yellow color persona back in your box, and you will run off of the black color persona or the purple color persona or the red color persona, which are entirely different people, which means your yellow meeple doesn't look like it did earlier question mark in the story okay so yeah so you can no longer associate your meeple no you can still associate with your meeple because you still have all the colored pieces in front of you it's not an issue of association but i'm just saying that the first time i played through the game i was like well this is really funny this was especially funny because i will admit i originally bought the game immediately after it was released and meeple source had these deluxe meeples that had printed on the meeples the original faces and then as soon as we pulled it out, we we're like, wait, we're not using those original faces after like two seconds. I was like, ha ha, silly <laughs> people who bought the Meeple Source one. He 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 And jokes on you. Yeah, jokes on you, you sh- seriously. You should have bought the pack with uh, three times as many Meeples. Something like that. So <laughs> you, you, um, you aren't your character as it turns out. So this King of Green Gully has set you out here. And over the course of the game, you will meet some other people who are here like – tried to sneak against the king or rebel or or otherwise tied to the king. And so you meet this other cast of characters and you have to decide if you want to be nice to them or not be nice to them. And as you go through the game, you realize that the charter stone, the central thing, is what allows you to switch between personas, that essentially you're harnessing the power of souls of other people that are locked in these charter stones and using their power to augment you with special abilities. Oh, creepy. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's how you're having these other special abilities is these souls that have been harvested. And one of these side characters mentions that the reason why the Forever King is the Forever King is because he's using a type of reincarnation where he sticks his soul in someone else's body and uses that to continue on. And he just keeps doing that forever and ever. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. And by the end of the game – um, it's a competition to see which one of you he is going to kill to, – to delete your soul from your body and take your body to create the new capital of the Forever King's empire. And, and that's been your goal for the entire campaign is which one of you gets to die by having your soul removed. Ah, I don't like this game. Gosh, it would make me want to lose. If you win, you're dead. I mean your body happens to be the emperor of – the whole world, but your soul's dead. <laughs> so, so did you try and lose at the end? The first time through, I didn't realize the emperor, the, the forever king was quite such a bad guy. And when they told us, oh, by the way, you've been killing people this whole time and locking their souls in charter stones so that the forever king can use their soul power. I was like, oh, I feel really cheated. 
that what? That was, that, yeah, that, that was a much me. darker turn than I thought I was playing with. I mean, all of this art is lovely and happy and cheerful. Mm-hmm. Like everything is so claymation friendly. It is so kid friendly. And then you get to the surprise reveal of the Forever King is actually a really a nasty jerk. person who has locked you here in this Charterstone territory to see how much souls you can collect for him. Wow. Well, you got played. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little wow. bit shocked. Yeah. I, I tried I don't think... to tank it the second time through and be like, you know what? I, like the whole time, I'm not mentioning why I think the Forever King is a really bad guy because some of the characters you meet kind of mention that they think the Forever King is a really bad guy. So from the whole time, I'm saying I really don't like this Forever King. I think he's a horrible person. But there's like some votes over time or at the very least when we had to make decisions, we made them as a group. So we had these decisions mm-hmm. that came up. And so everyone's like, no, we're going to support the Forever King. We're going to invite his troops in here. We're going to light the Forever King's fire. It'll be fine. I'm like, I really don't like this Forever King. I just want to yeah. just want to let it be known. I really don't like this Forever King. <laughs> and inside you're screaming. Uh-huh. No! And so it gets to the end and they read about the Charter Stone. They're like, wait, I don't I don't get it. What? What? I don't get it. I'm like, well, let me explain this to you in slightly less happy, pleasant terms. Like the original way it explains to you in happy, pleasant terms. Like, congratulations. You get to be the next emperor by having your soul, having the emperor's soul be put into your body using the power of the charter stone. Congratulations. It's like, wait, I don't get it. I'm sorry. Well, let me explain this to you in a different method. Your soul is about to be killed to leave an empty husk of a body for the forever king to inhabit. They're like, oh. Oh. Turk. Dang. Yeah. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe your soul isn't just evicted. Maybe something good happens to it. Maybe. It's locked in the charter stone to become fodder oh, yeah. for magical powers for the Forever King. Just like we've been That's doing right. to everyone else for the whole campaign. That's right. Those are mind. other people oh, screaming stones, which is why our character becomes different because we've taken on the look of the persona of the person we're, we're using their soul. soul. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to play this. <laughs> No, I don't want to scare anybody away because of the theme. I don't want to scare anybody because of the story. I'm just saying it has a huge turnaround. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for those people that turned the thing off and said, I'm going to go get Charterstone. Julia said it's good. (laughs) I just, I mean, I just, I just want to say, that's all I want to say. I just want to say it has a huge turnaround. (laughs) I don't want to take it away because in all actuality, like, I'm kind of a fan of stories that have surprises like that. Like Mm -hmm. Brandon Sanderson books or the boys or butcher like a lot of these things have these dramatic reveals and they're really fun i do like dramatic reveals and so i'm having a lot of fun with the story and i'm having a lot of fun hyping the story like when i play it the second time with the group and the whole time i'm like he's bad guys we don't really want to support but like no it's <laughs> yeah. fine and then it happened like ha, 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 i told you the whole time like this sort of stuff is fun um mm-hmm, but yeah mm-hmm. i just want to say <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! So I think okay. I've gone. I think I've gone on about theme quite enough at this point in time. Yeah, that's a, well, but the thing, and it doesn't matter in terms of gameplay, really. Not really, not really at all. It's still about points as the winner. That's really all it comes down to. Theme makes okay. no difference, and you could totally ignore all the story for the entirety of the game, and it wouldn't matter to you other than just you have twelve games to get the most points. That's it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I bet you that that story does make the game a lot more fun anyway, especially to I had a lot more fun because of it. <laughs> yeah. Me personally. 
But mm-hmm. let me talk about some of the components now. Um, first, let me mention the absolute awesome meeples and coins in the game. The coin, the, the game comes with a bunch of one coin denominations and a bunch of custom shaped meeples for the six different resources. Um, these are so good that I'm keeping these around. Like I've already had to pitch the game, uh, but I'm going to keep these meeples. I have no idea what I'm going to use them for ever again, because I don't know what I'll use a bunch of one meeples for and a bunch of custom resources, but they are very, very deluxe components. Very deluxe. They look excellent. Um, which I think is really something we've come to expect from Stonemaier games. A lot of their stuff has been very deluxe and these also just are very nice. Um, it comes also with a wooden die and every player has their own set of meeple type things for their two main meeple. So a big one, a little one, their victory point track, uh, their, uh, their, their influence meeples, their influence tokens, which are these wood thick tokens. They're really meeples really. Um, and, that's that's all the wood stuff in the box and all the metal stuff in the box. In terms of cards, you get what's called an index, which is a whole pile of cards. And as mentioned before, I'd say probably half of these, I think, are sticker cards and half of them are regular cards. You're going to have advancement cards in a deck throughout the course of the game. And the advancement cards are going to be either one of the various different types of upgrades. So there'll be some treasures that'll come out and some other types of cool stuff that will come out to the deck. And then there'll be buildings. Buildings are stickers also. On your board, over the course of the game, when you take a build action, you will have a sticker with a building on it, and generally you will have to spend the four resources pictured on it. You will take the building off and sticker it in one of the six locations that you own on the board. And then you will... hold onto or end up shuffling that card back in the deck. And later you can spend more money to open that as a charter stone box, um, which will give you more of these souls we're talking about or more building plans for you to build later, Mm -hmm. which means that the deck is a mix between sticker cards and non-sticker cards. Mm-hmm. The idea of the sticker cards is really good. I like the implementation of it. It's a very nice way to make a legacy game. It makes the board bright, cheerful, um, very colorized. Um, I think all the icons are very clear for what everything means. Some of them you may have to have an explanation once. Very few of them generally. They're all very easy to understand. Um, but that deck that had a mix of uh, different types of cards is extremely difficult to shuffle. Um, which mm-hmm. which means that I've had sometimes when like buildings we get shuffled straight to the top of the bottom always. Um, depends on which way I shuffle it. And it could be that if I knew how to shuffle such a deck better, it wouldn't have that issue. But I will say that it was an issue that I had with it, was just shuffling. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Um. So, but that's talking about the raw components. Talking about the art, I think I've mentioned already a couple times, the art is beautiful. I really like the art. Um, very cheerful very friendly, very kid, um, excellent art, excellent pictures of their various resources. Every building is a unique picture. Every persona is a unique flavor on one of the six basic personas. And so everything is very, very pretty. So high deluxe, big thumbs up for the deluxe components in the game. Nice. Okay. Who do we know who the artist is? 
Is it is it the same style as the cover? Yes. Okay. It's all in that same style. Okay. So that is all about the Charterstone components. Let us talk about some of the gameplay. In terms of the basic description of how the gameplay works, it is a worker placement game where every one of those buildings is a worker placement spot. There's six buildings that are share, that are global buildings, and then every player has their own six buildings that they that are in their charter. And you can go to anybody else's, generally. You can go to anybody else's charter, no restrictions on going somewhere else. You just put your meeple there, you do it, and if somebody else's meeple is there, you bump it off. And if you have no meeples, instead of putting a meeple out, you pick up all of your meeples. Mm-hmm. And... The cost for something is on the left of the of the building. The benefit is on the right. You pay the cost, you get the benefit. Turns can go really quick. Very many times, someone would put down the meeple and be like, "Okay, let me think about this. All right, I think I, I think I have my turn. Fine. Who's turn? Who's going right now? And we'll, we'll, it's back around to you. Like really? Jeez. <laughs> um, so turns can go really fast because it's such a simple worker placement idea that you're just continuing to push that engine. Um, hmm. let me talk about some of the but for that though. The game can be repetitive. You're trying to build an engine to be as efficient as possible to get points as quickly as you can, which means that essentially you're trying to turn resources into more resources, turn resources into points and keep doing that as fast and as quickly as you can. Which means that if you find a couple things that you can just turn, I go here, I go here, I go here, I go here, I turn those into this, I do this over and over again, that's fine, and you can just keep pounding that. Especially early in the campaign when almost all of the boxes contain buildings and it's easy to find boxes, you can even more easily keep an engine going of just putting out buildings and putting out buildings. So it's very easy to find that repetitive process and just keep doing it. And in fact, that continues to feel repetitive even between games because you'll have your six buildings that you that you control. And typically, you're very familiar with your buildings. You know what they do. You put them there. And the art is not very big. Like the, the, just the, the pictures of what things do is not very big. So you have to sort of stand up and look around the board. And I recommend at the beginning of every game standing up and familiarizing yourself with everything because things can change as soon as someone puts on a sticker. So, But you're going to be very familiar with your own buildings. Um, and you're going to see them and be reminded of them. So there's very little to even drive you away from just using your couple buildings over and over again and doing stuff there, especially since you know the synergies between your buildings and you're trying to build synergies between your buildings and things to do with them because you know nobody else can take them away because you're familiar with them. So that means that it, it just starts to feel repetitive. Mm-hmm. I think something yeah. that compounds this a lot is something called minions, which is a mechanic that comes out later in the game that I think is probably the biggest game changer mechanic in the whole thing. When you start off the game, you have two meeples to put on buildings. When minions come out, and a minion will come out here, a minion will come out there, so there's six different types that will come out over time. But minions are special types of workers that you can only put on your buildings and that you can't put if there's another minion, if there's another worker at a building. 
But when you put it there, it also gives you some benefit in addition to what the building does. But it can only go in your own building. And you'll want to build up minions because those are free turns. I mean, otherwise you'll have to waste turns taking back your minions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you want to use those minions. But if you're using those minions a bunch, well, that means that you're only working with your own buildings, which means that you have very little incentive to go farther away from your own buildings. And if everybody's working their own buildings, then nobody's going to interfere and block you from using your buildings with your minions. And nobody's going to interact with your minions because once somebody puts down a minion, if somebody else goes to that building, you get a benefit, which means that once you get a minion, well, that building's closed off to me. I don't want to give him a benefit. So I need to focus on my own place where there's not going to be any minions. So all of this about minions very much makes you go small world. You have a whole big board with six times the amount of spaces there. But you just end up focusing on your own little place, which just makes it start feeling repetitive. And I will say that was probably the biggest con of the whole thing is just how repetitive that started to feel. Interesting. Now, is this – how many players is this game for? Up to six. One to six. And if you do the campaign, do you need the same number throughout or could you have like two people show up tonight and three the next day and then (coughs) six? You can't have drop in, drop out. Um, and you can have them just get bonus stuff for times that they're not there. Okay. They essentially just get stuff equal to the lowest player. Got it. Okay. So you can't have drop in, drop out. Um, did, you, did that happen to you much? I mean, and I'm wondering, does, did it change the feel of the game much? Well, we actually started off with six players for the second campaign because I opened it up to my local community. And six people mm-hmm. said, hey, I've heard of this. Let's give it a shot. Uh, and to... Two people dropped out after four games. So. Okay. And by dropped out, I mean they always said, we're coming back. And they came back for one game, like game six or game seven. And then they left again, never came back. So it sort of technically happened. <laughs> okay. Did it did it feel like it made much difference in the game? No. Okay. Nope. Especially since they had already built up their whole place by the end of it. One other one thing it does to fix to, to do something about that is that even when you're playing with less than six players, the other charters will become built up over time because at the end of every round, if there's a spot missing, every game rather, if there's a spot missing, if it doesn't have a building on it, the game will add a building to it at random. But if it's already all filled up, it won't. And you for the first couple of games, you want to just build and build and build and build because that's an easy engine to run. And that gets you campaign points. Excuse me. And that gets you campaign points. So people were building very fast, which means that all of the buildings were definitely built up by game four. So for the next two-thirds of the game, those charters are are unchanging for two-thirds of the campaign. Yeah, but they're still used every game. But they're still used, yeah. Well, they're used to a certain degree. They they weren't very well-built charters. There wasn't a lot of synergy to them. I didn't didn't want (laughs) to go to them because I had my minions. Yep. For either campaign, okay. event, to tell you the truth. So if you start it with three players, let's say, do you only have three charters or do you still pull six out? You still pull all six out because the game will just add more spots to those other three. Huh. And is that true if you play solo also? That is true if you play solo also. But if you okay. play solo, you play with an Otama. Ah, uh, okay. And I haven't at all talked about the Otama yet. Nope. Okay. I will get to it. Don't you worry. So, um, yes, one other thing that I want to talk about, say again, I said, I said it derailed you, but we're talking about repetitiveness. Yes. But I think I've talked about repetitiveness. I'm not going to repeat. 
<laughs> oh, but wouldn't that be classy? No. <laughs> so one other thing that I want to talk about is that there's no hidden scoring in the game. I talked about repetitiveness. Dang it, I repeated. But I'm going to do it again. <laughs> we talked about repetitiveness. And there's also something that feels repetitive, but it's not you that's being repetitive. It can sometimes feel like other players are being repetitive. Because somebody else will start finding their engine. And their engine is really good. For example, one person found an engine that lets them get a whole bunch of points every time they um, th- they got one of the objectives. Whenever they did a certain thing, they were getting nine points, which meant that like every two turns they were getting nine points. And they're just running mm-hmm. away with it, it felt like. Mm-hmm. That can feel very repetitive because you see them running their engine and their engine f- is running much better than yours. That's annoying. And the mm-hmm. game's not over. <laughs> so you just have to sit there and watch them run it and thinking, man, this is repetitive. I do my short thing. They do their thing much better. If there was hidden scoring, like in a small world type thing, you at least wouldn't know it. You'd see <laughs> that they're doing stuff. You wouldn't see how much badly you're being beaten. Now, uh, that, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I know that sometimes people during both campaigns were saying, like, finagling out, like, I don't know if I want to end the game because I can count up the points that I have. And if we stop right now, I'm going to be two short un- points under this guy. And I need another two points here. So I definitely need to maximize here. But I can't let him end the game. Calculations, calculations, calculations. So there's definitely that going on without hidden scoring. Okay. Well, that's fun. I agree with you. That's definitely fun. That is definitely fun to do if you're close to winning. If you're mm-hmm. not close to winning, it makes you want to table flip. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if you knew about the forever key, and then at least you feel satisfied knowing it's not you that's going to be eating up forever. No, it really doesn't help because when you're playing <laughs> the game, no, that doesn't really help. Huh, okay. If this this starts to feel like player elimination. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but worse because you're still stuck there. And worse because you're still stuck there. You're you're eliminated. You're you're already eliminated. Now then, those points are still worth campaign points. That's true. And you know that you know maybe you'll get more points next game. That's also true. And in fact, l- let me spoil something. The person who's the doing the worst at the at one point in time is killed, um, and is turned into just a wandering soul. And now then you can't win without your body because after all, the Everking only wants your body. So Wandering Soul is not very good. But at one point in time, you can recover your goal, your, your, your body and resurrect yourself. But until then, you're just a soul. Now that the soul actually in gameplay forms has some extra bonuses. So they'll get some – they'll have a higher chance of getting some end, uh, end game bonus – excuse me. They'll have a higher chance of getting some end game victory points. And so there's some good stuff that they can do. So it's a catch-up mechanism? It's, a, it's completely a catch-up mechanism. So it is possible that, like, even though you're doing badly, you'll get some catch-up mechanisms and you'll do well there. But not if you're in second to last place. <laughs> oh, guess what? Now you're in last. Now you're in last, exactly. And <laughs> and now there's no more catch-up mechanism. So, like, if you're losing and you're watching somebody else run their engine, oh, God, that feels real bad. <laughs> And there's nothing really that catches up on that. So that's another thing that feels repetitive. And I do wish that the game would have a hidden score because I think the game would probably have ended faster and had less analysis paralysis because the scores would be hidden. I wish the scores had been hidden, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Now, how long does the game last? Depends on the game. Okay. In general, the game lasts about two hours. At one point in time, though, every one of the games has a slight twist to the game. 
very slight. Like at one point in time, you're only allowed to go places if you roll the die and get that place. Or you get a bonus if you roll the die and get that place. Or you have to first pay an influence to go that place. Or everyone's minions are all mixed up and you can't use minions in a normal fashion. Or all sorts of – like there's all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. There's usually a slight change to the gameplay, but usually it's just the core gameplay in every single game. Um, But there is one game which lasted very short for us, which is the candle one. At one point in time, you will open up a box with a candle and you will light it. If you – if the candle goes out on your turn – you lose the game. That's the secret mechanism that only in one other game ever. Yes, that is the secret mechanism is the ah. candle. Um, so that's a candle. So unnecessarily, everyone started to go much faster for that game, and there was less analysis paralysis. <laughs> the candle is much longer than it needs to be. I thought about for the second time, like shaving off some of the wax from the candle to be like, we're going to have a 40-minute game and nobody's going to know. I thought about doing <laughs> that. I didn't. I, I, I left it as it was packaged. So the candle still lasts for like an hour and a half or something like that. Um, it's but you don't know how long it's going to last at no, first. No clue. And somebody faster. can knock it or blow it or tip it or something like that. And it could theoretically go out, but it's really unlikely, especially since we mm-hmm. practice fire safety. Okay. So we don't put it on something that's easily tipped. Even though it's on the table, it's not easily tipped or interacted with. Yeah, that's a good idea. So that We one had a, a candle tip over once at a party. That was bad. Yeah, exactly. So that one went faster, but in general, it's about two hours. Okay. Have you other, hmm. any other questions about gameplay before we move on? Um, I do not think so, no. No. I think you've done a good job of describing stuff. Thank you. And there haven't been too many spoilers, I think, other than the, the creepy That's stuff. That's because I don't think there are that many spoilers. And I've talked about minions, which are probably the coolest thing. I've not really talked about all the other things that come out. So there's like treasures that come out, but they're just – they're cards that mm-hmm. come out and they do things. <laughs> but, okay. So I, I do have a question. The When you play the campaign, will all the rules get revealed every time or is there some games where some things never happen? At one point in time, if you haven't revealed all the rules, the Forever King will say, you guys get bad points. I don't like you. Here are all the rules you're missing. Okay. And the rules don't come out in the same order necessarily, right? No, they're based on which boxes get open. So they come out a different time each time. Okay. Like, I did think treasures are probably the the neatest thing to get opened, although it's the less – it does the littlest amount, but it's the neatest of the things that get opened. So so there's also, like, items that get opened and stuff like that. Um, It's the neatest thing that comes out, but it didn't come out the second campaign until the Forever King got mad at us. Ah, okay. And so, like, the thing with the candle, that could happen, in theory, in any game, more or less. Uh, No, that's scripted to come out in a specific game. Okay. Okay, so some stuff is scripted, some is it? Yes. Okay. So I think I've gone into the entire gameplay. Let me just summarize that it can be repetitive because there's little to really drive you away from your own location. There's no hidden scoring, but it's really easy to understand, really easy to implement, makes for quick, quick, fast turns for dynamic gameplay and keeps things moving really fast and is overall fun to do. Possibly not fun to do for 12 games, but overall fun to do. So the people that tuned out right before uh, before all the spoiler stuff happened think this is a great fun game. You should rush out and buy it and play it. 
Everybody else now knows it's a, a creepy game with a terrible story and it's repetitive. Well, I'm still <laughs> saying it's a good game, but I'm just saying things that aren't the best. They they should have not tuned out. No, I didn't tell them to tune out. You told them to tune out. Oh, yeah. That's why I want to turn on spoilers immediately. I, I did mention that I need to explain everything. You did. Okay, well. This is all your fault, Albert. <laughs> Well, I don't. It's not my fault because I did not know either. I had no idea. Should have just referred to me. I I I was duped as much as everybody else. Upset, I stayed around because I didn't have a choice. (laughs) I locked you in the chair. Now you have to listen, (laughs) or I will harvest your soul. Oh, so creepy! I better sleep well tonight. I'll be upset. All right, Albert. Let me tell you about Solo. Okay. Yes. So for Solo, the way Solo works is it's an Otama. I'm a huge fan of just the Automa system in general, and I have waxed heavily on how much I like the Automa system. Mm. It is essentially a system that minimizes the amount of upkeep required while maximizing the feeling of having a real player dealing with it, um, but minimizing the actual real player stuff that happens. So there's a little guy on the board that puts minions down on the board in various random places based on a card that comes out. So he's randomly blocking places, randomly building buildings to put more buildings on the board, and getting points every once in a while. With you, you get points in these big spurts. So you'll get seven, eight, nine points all of a sudden and jump up when you do a big action. He'll get one point like every two turns. So he's the very slow and steady version, mm-hmm. and you really have to keep up with him. It has various difficulties because it gets harder as the game goes on. It gets more powers as the game goes on. And new cards will come out of the index for him to have more things to do as more stuff comes out. Oh, neat. Okay. Um, so it's an Otama. I really like Otama systems. And it has some of the same issues as before. <laughs> With the idea that it's repetitive. Mm-hmm. The solo game, the, the Otama is a computer is a is a randomized set of cards and it will put random buildings together on its area with you you can create synergy in your areas you can't create synergy anywhere else so you're stuck in your area if you want synergy or you have to be on the lookout for some random burst of synergy that appears somewhere else the automa is most certainly not putting synergy none at all <laughs> all the buildings are random in fact, I mentioned before that there's sort of a mini solo, even with multiplayer. Every end of game, it will at random put out a building in an area that doesn't already have a building. And that happens even if you're not playing with the Automa. So you're, if it's you versus one Automa, and you can really play with five Automas if you wanted, but why? If it's you versus one Automa, you'll have your area that has a lot of synergy. The Automa will have a bunch of buildings in its area that don't really have synergy. And all the other areas will have some buildings that don't really have synergy. At least when I'm playing multiplayer, I'm pretty sure that fella over there has some synergy. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But with this random computer, I know it doesn't have synergy. So you just have to sort of be on the lookout for these things. At one point in time, you'll stop being on the lookout for this sort of thing. When I played the solo game, every once in a while during the second campaign, I would just, solely for the purposes of talking about here, I would just random play a solo game without really doing actual component changes. I would, because Mm -hmm. I was doing this, I didn't want to interrupt my campaign. I would just take little sticky notes and put little sticky notes down. And then I did another campaign, another game of it at the end of it. 
uh, just to see how it feels once you have all the stuff out. So I use sticky notes for that, just to see how it plays. Um, it feels like the multiplayer still. <laughs> it does feel like the multiplayer still, because <laughs> as I mentioned before, the multiplayer drives you to your own location. But Solo also yeah. drives you to your own location. I would say that this Automa does an excellent job of using minimal <laughs> upkeep to make the game feel like you're playing a multiplayer game. It does an excellent job of it. But the issues that, that are apparent in the main game are even more apparent with the Solo. Mm-hmm. But I really like the game even with those issues. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 I could see that. You know, it's repetitive, but you know, you're gonna play about twelve, twelve times exactly, and and that's not bad. And each game you've introduced a little bit, but by the end you're like, okay, yeah, I've learned enough. I'm, I'm ready to move on. And I had the same thing sort of with Pandemic Legacy. It was fun. It was fun to discover new things as I went along, but by the end, is you know, I, I've played this game as much as I want to. Yeah, I'm definitely having played it 24 times. I can definitely say I played it as much as I want to. Yeah. I'm never, ever going back to that game. I'm I'm very done with it. And the same is not true of something like Arkham Horror. There are other games... <laughs> you played that a little bit more. Arkham Horror a little bit more? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say how many hours I've played <laughs> Arkham Horror. It's, it's a lot. I don't know if I mentioned I was considering starting another podcast just for Arkham Horror, just because you, of the amount of time. You did tell me that. Yeah. I have I have played Lord of the Rings almost 250 times now. I'm at way more than that. Far wow, more. okay. I'm at way more than that. I'm not sure if I'm up to 1,000 plays yet. <laughs> not sure. Maybe. Uh, it could wow. be. I've I've definitely sunk thousands of hours into it. Mm-hmm. Just in between playing the game and de- dealing with the deluxe components for it, definitely sunk thousands of hours into it. Gosh, wow, okay. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that because I have played so much Lord of the Rings. I don't know how much time I spent on it. Yeah, but anyway, talking about Charterstone, um, I think I've basically you basically summarized exactly what I'm going to say. I do recommend it. I did have a lot of fun with the campaign. I played through it twice. Nobody else from the first campaign wanted to play it through a second time. I was the only one, but I did really like it. I thought it was fun. I did think it was repetitive. I thought that you could have some broken things, but everyone can have broken things. This is one of those games where everyone finds their broken thing and pushes it as hard as they can. So I do think it, it was a lot of fun to do, and I do give it a recommendation. Just walk into it with some awareness that don't run through it as fast as you can. Take it slow. Take some breaks with some other things just so that it doesn't feel too repetitive when you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That does help a lot. The, the the issue is if you can lose your momentum if you take too much of a break. Quite so. Quite so. Yeah. That is a possibility, but I think that's better than not wanting to come back to it because you played it too much. Mm-hmm. So that is Charterstone. Albert, are you going to go get it? Not anymore. Now I got the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I having just finished Pandemic Legacy, I am done with the Legacy game for a while. Done with Legacy games. Taking a break from Legacy games. Absolutely, yeah. It was fun. I played my game. I finished it. I went and threw it out. Understood. Well, I guess we'll have to talk yeah. about Pandemic Legacy next time. Let's do let's do a series on some more Legacy games. Well, yeah, we could do And you know what? It's not as grim as this one. <laughs> I don't agree. <laughs> I bet. 
It's a different kind of grim. It is. It is still quite grim. But we will talk about that more <laughs> next time. That's right. Or, or maybe after, because there's other games we want to do too. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, so we'll see. Well, it will definitely come up soon enough. So anyway, I think that's the end. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, thank you for telling us about this game, Julius, and warning us. <laughs> the Forever King will haunt your soul tonight, Albert. He is. He really is. A creep. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.